You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line. Cause Stone Cold sets up. If you're gonna blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howell. Let's not waste any time. Let me bring in the rest of the team for this latest adventure. He is the drop machine extraordinaire, the master of the soundboard, Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about yourself? Matt, did I get your intro out of order just now? Uh, not really. I mean, there isn't any true order, but sometimes it is a little bit more extended. People do, <laughs> people do need to know that you're the, you're the drop machine extraordinaire. You are the master of the soundboard. And you've got... Uh, Oh, it, us getting on the air each and every week, folks, it is a challenge, and it's a challenge Matt Amen. needs head on. So exactly. There thank you go. for that. You're getting your Longhorn Blitz fixed, and it's because of Matt Butler. I agree with that. Now, the third member of our team, though, is very important because he is our lockdown corner here on the show. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-America, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres, where he earned his degree. Whenever that team ring comes in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU. And when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Uh, thank you for the intro, brother. Yeah, I mean, Matt, what a more extended intro. Uh, Sorry, Matt. <laughs> no, no, y'all are good, man. No, we're just trying to cause make sure we're trying to stay on time here. All right, that's all <laughs> we're trying to do. So I appreciate my man Jeff Howell. He's trying to get it in real quickly. You're speaking like Rod B there. You know An I mean? expedited. Micro machines guy back in exactly. the day. Fire it off, fire it off. <laughs> um, so, guys, I wanted to kind of, you know, we don't have any hard news to talk about right now. Now, we do have uh, players coming back to campus on June 15th for voluntary workouts. Hey, but That's good news. I don't know about you guys, but that's I'm kind of tired of the, you know, talking about the coronavirus and sheltering in place and what does it mean and when are we getting back to sports. Now, I've got a daily talk show, by the way, 10 to noon, Light the Tower on the Horn, myself Amen. and Greg Way. And you get Rod B well from done. 3 to 7 uh, yeah. on the Triple Option Afternoon Show, which is Thanks must listen to radio if you yeah. haven't checked it out yet. So we got plenty of time there to talk about it, but I wanted to just kind of talk ball here in this uh, this show today. And uh, one thing I wanted to bring up was, uh, Matt, I don't know if you've seen it, Rod, I think you have, uh, the Max Olson piece at The Athletic from his interview with Tom Herman back in yeah. early March. <clears throat> yep. There's a lot in there. Good work by Max, as always. Uh, and some back. of it's stuff that, that, honestly, Tom's covered a lot in the offseason, his various chats. He did one with us at Horns 24-7. He's made the rounds. But, Rod, there was one thing that stood out to me. It stuck out like a sore thumb. And it was kind of at the point, and I forget how it was phrased, it was kind of like when did he realize there was a problem in 2019? When did he realize things were slipping away? Maybe it was like what was the low point? Yeah. And he talked about that Oklahoma loss. 
And I went through and just kind of looked at some of my articles that I wrote last season, and kind of the two where I kind of hit rock bottom covering the team in terms of this thing isn't going the way I wanted it to. You just what? mean in terms of your like your optimism hit yes. rock bottom? Yeah, yes. yeah. You you've been you did been doing great work. Thank you, Rod. Work uh, that does not hit rock bottom. Thank, I appreciate. There you that. go. Uh, but one was after the TCU game, and I I, I distinctly remember sitting with a colleague. We were at a Chili's in Burleson watching the World Series. I remember dis- missed those days. Very distinct. I remember <laughs> disgustedly eating some chips and salsa and thinking, "Man, this thing just isn't gonna go the way I thought it was going to." Uh-oh. Did you have a mark too, right well, there next to you? No, didn't, I didn't have a mark. <laughs> uh, and the other, the other moment, Rod was after the Baylor game when I realized, man, you got to beat Tech just to get to seven wins, and you're officially eliminated from contention for the conference championship game. But for Tom Herman. Those are those are kind of my low points considering my preseason expectations. The low point for Tom Herman was the Oklahoma game, and he talked about losing the physicality battle, which it's guys you can count on one hand in Tom Herman's forty games the number of times where you can say without question Texas lost the physicality battle. I agree yeah. on that. That was one of those games. But the thing that stood out to me was him talking about because at the time, keep remember they had all the injuries, the injuries were starting to pile up, so they scaled back in practice. He talked about the following Tuesday, they went back to the way they normally practice, and he talked about the kids didn't respond well. Yeah. So, Rod, here's my thing on that. And this goes back to my number one criticism of Tom Herman. And and I've had had various criticisms (laughs) throughout his tenure. But I think you can kind of put them all, package them all together, put them under this umbrella. What Tom Herman has to do is he has to realize who he wants to be. Focus on what he wants to be every day and be that guy every day. If you're going to practice hard, if you're going to have really physical practices, you can't scale it up and scale it down. You got to be that guy every day. And there's two ways to do it. You can be Bill Snyder, which we've heard over the years, Bill Snyder, one of the reasons why some of those K-State teams, those great K-State teams he had couldn't finish was because they just ran out of gas. Mm -hmm. The other side of the spectrum is, Go look at Pete Carroll at USC. Man, they're having fun. Mm-hmm. Every day is a party. You've got Snoop Dogg and Will Ferrell at practice. Like, mm-hmm. it's just a totally different vibe. So there's no right or wrong way to do it. No. But you have to figure out who you are and be that guy every day. And, Rod, that to me tells me that last season, Tom Herman was still very much in that process of figuring out, okay, this is who I need to be every day. Because it seems like – we talk about this with Tim Beck, right? In crisis situations, you revert to, you revert to the norm. Mm-hmm. Revert to who you are. Yep. And for Tom Herman, it's like when crisis hits, you revert to being physical, which there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is you kind of going up and down and kind of turning it off and turning it on. You just have to be that every day and live with the results, don't you think? I agree with you. I, I do agree with you. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's tough for a new coach like Tom Herman because, you know, you can be who you are, right? And, and, and that's your football character. That's your football identity. And then – that can also fail. Right. And when that when that avenue, when that option fails, you being you, what do you do? You double down? Or do you go, all right, I got to pivot. I got to change. Do you completely change course or do you just tweak your model? And I think that's where Tom Herman is now. I totally agree with you. Even Tom Herman, here's one of the, um, the quotes, one of my favorite quotes from that Max Olsen interview with Tom Herman. Uh, with the athletic, he said, "Quote on offense, I feel like I felt like we got stale. 
me calling plays for two years, I had become a jack of all trades and a master of none. Mm -hmm. I wasn't a very good offensive coordinator, and I obviously wasn't a very good head coach, and I knew I can't do this another year. I was running myself ragged trying to play both roles. And, you know, I think for Tom Herman, and we've talked about this, how uncomfortable he was being an offensive coordinator and a head coach. I think – being an offensive coordinator and that's it I think he loves that role relishes that role you know what I mean but you ask him to be the head coach and OC and I think he was uncomfortable with that in a lot of ways even logistically he admitted himself hey I'd rather call plays from the booth I don't like calling plays from the sideline number one I mean he he admitted that right. uh, so I think for Tom Herman he was caught between a rock and a hard place meaning the roster isn't what he envisions it to be right. I mean, maybe it is right now, but it wasn't, of course, before this time because the guys that he recruited, they weren't all necessarily in the premier roles. Now, you know, even though you had success with the H position, right, with Lil' Jordan Humphrey and Devin Duvernay, now you got your ideal H's with the hybrid, the true hybrid players in Jake Smith and Jordan Whittington. So, and now this roster has been turned over in his own image. Uh, the problem is, he did his image, was his image the, the the most um, not only the most accurate one, but was it the one that worked? Was it, did they have the most efficacy? Because you know, you end up changing your coaching staff. Mm-hmm. So that says right there that Tom Herman wasn't sure about his vision. So has he tweaked it in the right way? We don't know. None of us know. So I agree with you. You got to be who you are. I think Saban has figured out who he is. I right. think the problem with Tom Herman ultimately is he doesn't know who he is yet as a head coach. He is only his what fifth year as a head Going coach. Into only six, yep. Going into his sixth year, so he doesn't actually know who he is. Nick Saban knows who he is. Urban Meyer knew who he is. Um, Gary Patterson knows who he is. Mike Gundy knows who he is. There are a lot of coaches in the Big 12 right now. Lincoln Raleigh figured out pretty early on who he was as a coach, and he's still tweaking that. But I think for Tom Herman, he doesn't necessarily know exactly what his football identity is, and he admits it in that interview that, hey, man, I was a, you know, I was a, a, a jack of all trades and a master of none. It, it, what he's saying is I didn't have an identity. I didn't do what we say about an identity. What's an identity? Something you do as well, if not better than everybody else. Mm. You had that physicality in 2018. That's what Sam Bam Bam Sam was all about. You lost that in 2019, and we don't know what happened to it. A lot of people said, "Hell, maybe it was you know your lack of a fullback or a tight end, whatever it was." But that vanished, and I think with it, the identity of the offense. Yeah, spot on. And it's you know back to your question where it sort of evolves between these three is. First, Herman is, like you said, the OC. So when he gets into this chaos mode and he reverts back to what he knows, but what does he know? He knows offense, and he took over control of the offense, which takes away from being that head coach to where that being rooted in that, it's sort of, and we could see that he was an aspiring to be head coach at that elite level. And there's maybe this image, this physical image that he has seen, this prototype, maybe some blueprint that he has pulled, but he hasn't been able to implement implement it yet and you we almost saw that aspiring what he wanted to be didn't align with what he was and with what he was is really a really good offensive coordinator and last year he had sort of to go into save everything mode and let me take over before the catalyst goes the other way and becomes bad for the whole team he was able to do that and buy himself a chance to have a new staff and now he can buy that year with this group of kids which is a thing that 
Charlie didn't have when you look at the way that the years play out and after Max rebuild really didn't get that opportunity again. So he sort of was able to survive by going in. Now, he probably was going to get this year anyways, but by going back and reverting to the OC, it was sort of just a temporary fix for that issue and instead now we'll see if he can evolve that because he was able to go and we've talked about the you know his aspirations obvious is that he wants to be able to pound it but he wasn't able it was he was forcing that issue last year because even the year before in those situations it was successful but then it makes you become predictable and that's where evolving as a head coach in a new conference and all those things sort of can collide together at the same time and put you in that situation to where there really isn't an answer because now we have a new season, but now we know what to look for and where the problems, hopefully he can maybe squash them quicker. Rod, what's interesting from that piece, though, and you just shared the quote, that was the other thing I wanted to get to. That's the first time I've heard him say the offense got stale. I don't think I've heard him put it in those terms. Yeah. We, we talked about it. it. Like we, yeah. On this show, we talked about yeah. you got stale and predictable. That's the first time I, I – and I, I might have missed it. I might be – I think you're right, uh, though. I, I think, think you're right, man. put it in those terms. I agree with you. Because if, if, if he had said it, I think we'd have talked about it on right. the show. So and he you. detached at the time, but now yeah. that shows him actually self-assessing That's and doing it. some of the things that we're asking. And yeah. a lot of the times it's that honesty. we've – the one thing with Herman and maybe why we're seeing him survive into that fourth year is there have been a handful of times when other coaches maybe hadn't pulled the Band-Aid off quick enough or done something and when ended up being one that hung around a little too long. He's been a bit proactive at times with a few of these things. People wanted to be more proactive, say, with the offensive situation a year earlier, but that's about it. But still, if you learn from it, you can go from there. One of the the key principles of football theory, which is – I'm going to teach a class on it because I think (laughs) – You should, man. That would be a fun class. But one of the key theories is – and Ray Horton told me this when I was playing in the NFL. I think it's a great quote. Football and life are a constant struggle between what you want to be and what you need to be in order to survive. Right, everybody wants to be something, and that's everybody's life. Right, everybody's everybody strives and aspires to be something, but (laughs) you also need to be something in order to make it through your everyday life, to pay the damn bills, to make sure you're living up to obligations with your family, and all that kind of stuff. Right, and football's the same way. I'm sure Tom Herman's got. Oh, I want to be this. I want to be that. But then you look at your roster and go, well. I'd like to be what I was in 2018, but I don't have Andrew Beck, yeah. who basically his elite ability to block as another offensive lineman, and then having Sam Bam Bam Sam as a fullback, mm-hmm. you know, also LJ a fullback slash quarterback. That that elite ability, that distinct, unique ability as an offense, gave us a huge advantage in the Big 12. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a league that's built around spreading things out. We were basically what San Fran is in a league. We could pound the rock on almost anybody. And then you lost Andrew Beck, who we now know in the NFL has validated elite blocking ability. He went for the New England Patriots, who was a team that loved fullbacks, and now he's with the Denver Broncos, I believe, a team that is renewing their faith in the running game. That's why they got Melvin Gordon and that kind of stuff. So so you you see that Texas doesn't have that. And one of the things we talked about with Tom Herman, what links to pro ideology and the spread philosophy is the tight end position. He wants that tight end position to ultimately be what Kyle Juszczyk is. Sorry to keep bringing up the mm-hmm. 49ers, but oh, everybody yeah. in the NFL wants to copy right. their blueprint right now. People watch uh, the Super Bowl, too, exactly. so they know you're talking they, about. What Kittle and Juszczyk are in that offense, that's what Tom Herman wants his tight end position to I be. Agree. He's got it in the H, but those guys can play fullback, play H-back, play tight end. They can do a number of things. Now, Andrew Beck couldn't do all that. 
But Andrew Beck was a good enough receiver, all right? He had good enough hands where he can threaten you. I don't know if he was going to beat you on a route downfield, so I wouldn't call him a five-tool tight end. But when he was in there as a blocker, either as an Mm H-back or a tight end, he was elite at that ability, and that gave Texas the numbers advantage in the box a lot of times. That's where Bam Bam Sam was born. You lost that, and then I think the struggle between what you need to be and what you want to be, I think it over it, it overwhelmed Tom Herman in 2019. I, and I, I like where you're going with that, Rod, and it wasn't a talent problem offensively no. last year because no. look at the differences from 18 to 19, right? Yards like yards per play, like think about, and I think people don't realize like when you're talking about like point four, point three in yards per play, you're talking about an infinite, an infinite difference in offense. Mm-hmm. Your yards per play, Rod, from 18 to 19, you went from five and a half to six point four. It's, crazy. it's the best yards per play for any Texas offense since 08. Yeah. Damn. Yes. That's impressive. I didn't realize that. Yes. 6.4 yards per play. Your yards yeah. per carry. Yards per rushing attempt, 4.8. You know the last time Texas had 4.8 yards per carry? 2016 when Deontay Foreman had a 2,000-yard season when you were one of the best run games in yeah. the country. Mm-hmm. And I know like yards per carry is one of those metrics no, that can No, but I'm with get, you, though. It, it, you can, At least it shows productivity. You, yeah, you can yeah. Uh, kind of spin it however you want. But the bottom line is – it wasn't a talent issue. I think we're, it's something. We, this is something we talked about a few weeks ago, and I think Tom Herman's words kind of tie into something we, we brought up recently. Even I talk about the offensive line. Be like, well, the offensive line. Well, yeah, no, no, no. When you look at, like, and I love football outsiders, and I love their old line metrics. Mm-hmm. And Matt, I don't know if you got the numbers in front of you or not, but yeah. you look at, like, the Texas offensive line in terms of run game oh, metrics yeah. is one of the better offensive lines in the country. Oh, yeah. But where do they struggle? Power. Power success rate. Mm-hmm. Percentage of runs on – Third, third and two, or fourth and two, or shorter. Whenever that achieved a first down or a predictable short yardage situations, when so everybody that, knew you were going to bring the exactly. Yeah. It wasn't a talent issue. That's when your creativity as an offensive coordinator has to be at its best. And mm-hmm. I think that's where Tom Herman, totally. I, I, right? I think it's almost a deal. And we, 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 you see this happen all the time. It, writers get writers block, or directors might have you might have a bad movie. It's just. It's paralysis by analysis. You either overthink it or you get to a comfort level where, man, it's just not there. Totally agree. You, you went from being one of the best fourth down offenses in the country to being one of the worst. Yeah, totally agree. And we you're going to tell, and, tell me Andrew Beck made that much of a difference? Uh, I, I, I don't think he necessarily made that much of a difference, but what he provided was balance on the offense, right? So when they want to defend Lil' Jordan Humphrey and Colin Johnson and Devin DuVernay, all right, you know what, you pick your poison. Now you got to deal with the power running game of Texas. You want to stop the power running game? You picked your poison. You got to stop on the outside. Lou Jordan Humphrey, Colin Johnson, Devin Duvernay. Right. You yes. know what I mean? So and you have all perfect. three. If you have Duvernay blocking on the outside you know and I mean? LJ blocking in the slot, that's it, a very good it, blocking exactly. court. And Colin Johnson, you got a six six guy on the outside blocking. Yeah, that was and a Duvernay out there. running yes. attack. So I think it now you have Epps and Eagles. Or exactly. Something. And in 2019, there's no balance to that offense. None yep. at all. You didn't have to pick a poison. What was the poison I had to pick? It's a good point. What was it? I had to worry about Texas power running game. You know, Ed Orgeron told you that versus LSU. She was like, dude, I knew it was coming, and when it was coming, we could stop. hundred percent. Right? So that wasn't that. All right. It was, so you can try to stop Devin Duvernay, but as Iowa State and kind of TCU showed you, yeah, you can you can do that. You can you can let him get his and contain him. You can't stop him, but you'll contain him to the point where he won't be the reason you lose the game. Um, and Oklahoma did a decent job on him. You know what I mean? So they didn't have to pick your poison. I think Tom Herman is a is a is a guy all about picking your poison. He's gonna have a power running game, and then he's gonna have threats on the outside that. 
then one on one, basically they're open. Fifty yes. fifty, they're gonna win fifty fifty balls. So they're open. You want to guard them one on one, they're gonna win those. And he didn't have that last year, really. I don't know if you're going. Well, Colin Johnson not being healthy consistently also kind of hurt that model. Yeah. But the power running game element wasn't there. Keontae Ingram had a, a effective yards, but that was inconsistent. Rojo had to come and contribute, and he was awesome. But they just didn't have it consistently. And consistently, that's the identity. Yeah. The identity is something that says when I go to whatever the hell I travel, no matter what the situation, you know you're going to deal with this. Mm-hmm. You know every, you know what I mean, we, you want yeah. to deal with this. Going back to the 49ers, you know you want to deal with that running game. You don't, No matter what happens, what situation, they're still going to run the damn ball. They may be down by double digits. You're still going to stop that damn yeah. running game. Real you know quick. what I mean? And I don't, for Texas, I don't know if there's anything necessarily that – you had to stop a poison you had to pick on, on a situational basis. Sorry, Rod, I didn't mean to No, go ahead, go ahead. But your fourth down numbers in 2018, you were number two in the country in fourth down offense. You were 12 for 15 on fourth down conversions. Last year, seven for 19. You slipped to 118th. Yeah, yeah. You you da- you damn near went from first to worst in fourth down conversions in a year. And yeah. we talked about this about a month ago whenever we sort of stumbled upon the O-line numbers and when you realize that Texas is 10th in the nation in stuff rate and it's only 14.8% of the time, but then your power success rate dropped down to 91. Those things do not align. They should be together. The only way that they don't align is because of the predictability. Is yeah. because if you're going to top ten, you're elite at limiting elite. the opponent doing that to you. Yet in the few situations when it was most valuable for you to do it, Good. you were telegraphing what you're doing, and then you were something because the success was there last year. But he wasn't self-aware to see that with Andrew Beck gone and with the blocking receivers we just talked about, that in these situations now those marginal plays that you still could maybe line up against somebody and they know what's coming and Andrew Beck and those guys maybe be do enough yeah. to get Bam Bam Sam to fall forward for that. The next sure. year when you identify that maybe you aren't as elite at that, but we've always talked about Tom. He's a huge numbers game guy in the running game. We put that extra hat in the backfield with Ellinger. It's why Ellinger would always get the nod since he was early on there. And when Connor Williams went out his freshman year, it was the only way Texas could move the ball running was with the extra hat. So he becomes allegiant to those numbers. But again, it goes back to the uh, quick, easy read by the defense. There's no mental consumption by the defense. And you end up telegraphing what you're going to do a lot of the times. And you could get away with it in 2018 if you're elite blocking up front and do that with elite players. You couldn't do that last year, and then you didn't adapt to it. So it can show that you can be a top 10 stuff rate team, but then 91st in power run success rate. So that means you're good at it. You just aren't good at when you're doing it. And that's the card game the coaches play, and they were losing that card game every single week. That's the only explanation because no, like <laughs> nothing else nothing else can explain the offense, right? Like Matt said, like you look at some metrics and, and you look at just the raw production. Like Standard wow. downline and, yards, a top 10, at, number nine in the nation. You look at like SP+. Plus, I think Texas was a top 15, mm-hmm. top 15-ish offense in SP+. Plus last but you year. get predictable in the biggest downs and biggest situations. Exactly. It really can bog you down. And that's where that's – where Tom Herman when he's at a play caller and you can go back and look at his time at Ohio State specifically that's when he's at his best at a play call it's situational football red zone fourth down third down short yardage that's when he's at his best and that's really where 
uh, Texas was lacking last That's year. That's where the self-evaluation really right. came in with him because he's yeah. an offensive guy. That's Those are the situations Texas fans got him for to be successful in. So in and those are the ones he wasn't in. So in turning the offense great. over to Mike Yersich, Mike Yersich had uh, an interview on SiriusXM Radio this week with Big 12 today with, I believe it was Gabe Eichert and uh, – Holly Rowe. Yeah, I meant to listen to it. I got it, but I haven't listened yeah, to it Yeah, and, and I, I listened to it and, and, and pulled some quotes. You know, one of the things he talked about in there, Rod, was to win the Big 12, you need to be at about uh, averaging about 45 points a game, roughly. And that might sound <laughs> ridiculous, but I just yeah. pulled some numbers. Just no, for he's right about that. He's story. right because Texas 05, just for perspective, yeah. set the national record for 50.8 or whatever 50. per game. That, that's a national record. Yep. Big 12, you're almost having to be at that level. And yeah. the 08 offense was 42-4. So <laughs> you're, you've got to be in the ballpark with, with that uh, to be able to win this league. And the league hasn't changed that much. 08 was when it was starting to change and, and it definitely, we've only seen it ramp up from there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he talked, right about kind of his offensive ideology and one of the things he said was he met with the the guy, he, he played for him a couple of years at Mountain Union before he transferred, then went back when he was a young offensive coordinator and the conversation was, well, Mike, tell me about your offense. How would you describe your offense? And, you know, he's going through, he's like, well, coach, you know, we run inside zone, we run outside zone. And he said, no, 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 no. Describe your offense. Use words. And Mike Yersich is describing the meeting. He's just sitting there. He's like, I don't know how to describe what I do. <laughs> and he basically, the, the Mountain Union staff kind of gave him the blueprint. He said, let me tell you about our offense. He's like, we're, we're physical. Yep. We're, I was it? They're physical, they're smart, and they're skilled. He said, those are the, he said, that's how we describe our offense. We're physical, we're smart, and we're skilled. So that's how Mike Yersich now, Rob, we've heard him describe his offense. Yeah. It's about players, players formations, formations plays. plays. It's about your personnel, yeah. getting that personnel in the right Love situation. And then Simple. it comes down to mm-hmm. what, what are you going to call. But he also said, you know, when he talked about what you need to win the league, uh, he, you know, he mentioned the, the 45 points a game, which I think is the, the quote that kind of jumps out at everybody, uh, need to average 45 a game to win the league. No, that makes sense. But he's also mentioned these three things. you got to use tempo. you got to be explosive. And you got to be balanced. We just talked about balance, right? You've got to be able to, you got to be able to run the football. Yep. You can't just be, you can't be one dimensional and win this league. Uh, explosive. Texas was explosive last year, but again, looking at these weird numbers that that we're going through, uh, they weren't explosive enough. You know, it was almost like it was feast or famine. You're either getting tons of chunk yardage plays, or, or you're not getting any of them, and then. <laughs> The tempo part of it, that's that's when you – the yeah. tempo in a lot of ways helps set up some of your explosive plays because if you can get a defense on the move, then maybe you get somebody with a double move or a route combination or something. Texas that, didn't get enough explosive plays against the teams that mattered. Right. right. Oklahoma, Baylor. Baylor. TCU. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like that. That's because I'm thinking about like they got explosive plays, but yeah, when the the games like they really, really needed them, they didn't. Get, basically, against the best defenses in the Big Twelve, yeah. they didn't get explosive plays. Right. Yeah. And whenever I just remembered you pointing out the yards per play thing earlier, I and mean, if people want to go and discount, oh, it's a big run. It's like those are explosive plays. You don't discount and penalize the uh, yards per play and say, oh, those are inflated because you want to get as many of those. And the same idea that it's you don't want to give up a negative 20-yard thing. So every little niche that you can get, it's worth it. Yeah, just in terms of yards per play, historically last year's offense was 6.4. Uh, the best offense since 08 before that, another one of those weird years, Rod, hmm. 2012. That 2012 offense under Brian Harson was a 6.3. The 08 offense was at six and a half. Uh, the 05 offense, 7.1. Just, That's just crazy. stupid. Uh, 
a 98 with Ricky Ewer at 6.8. So, just again, just historically, there was one. That was 2018, 6.4, right? You said 2018 or last year? Last year. Last, last year, year I'm sorry. Last year was 6.4. Okay, sorry. I, no, no, you said that. I was, just, I was making sure. Uh, yeah, so, you know, again, like Matt said, you can spin yards per play however you want, but it's a pretty standard metric for how successful an offense is. It's definitely better than using just total offense and just raw yeah. raw yards per game. Uh, but, you know, you, you, you dig into this Mike Yersich interview, Rod, and, you know, go ahead, Matt. Oh, just say triggered in my head when we started the podcast that 2012 yards per play season was befuddling to us because we were like, how did this happen? This team fell apart, but they were so elite in the conference at yards per play, but we realized – tempo and amount of plays really do matter a ton yeah. and they also will correlate near the top of the best point. offenses and best teams that if you are earning the right for more plays it also can allow you a little bit of a buffer zone to go down in your yards per play no doubt uh the other thing that mike yersich touched on in this interview guys that stood out was he talked about you've got to have an identity you've got to know who you are mm-hmm. and he's, he said you've got to be that every day he's like if you're if you're a physical if you want to be a physical team you can't just have walk through practices and expect to be physical on Saturday. You've exactly. got to be a physical team every day. Yep. So, Rod, as we sit here, uh, if you're listening to this on Thursday, if you get this on Thursday, we will be exactly 100 days until September 5th. Now, will the season kick off on September 5th? I don't know. Hopefully it does. God, we hope so. But, Rod, 100 days from kickoff, when I ask you what should the identity of this Texas offense be in 2020, what, what would you say it should be? Oh, that is good. Um, the identity of the offense should be built around, in my opinion, multiplicity. I think multiplicity and Sam Ellinger. I think those should be the two highlights. I think other than that, I mean, you can try to go with an explosive passing game, but I don't know if you have enough of that on the outside. I'd go with multiplicity, meaning you got your true hybrids now in Jake Smith and – Jordan Whittington. So you got two of them. You know, the beauty of what systems like what Shanahan has set up with San Fran, and I like he bring it up, but it right now is the standard, is that he's been drafting guys like Debo Samuel since he got Debo Samuel. Drafted Jalen Hurd. You know what I mean? Now they're drafting the kid out of Arizona State, Brandon Nayuk. All right? They're drafting guys that can get yak yards. All right? They want wings back. Yeah, exactly. They want wide receivers with running back tendencies. That's one of their things. So you can see. So somebody gets hurt. Okay. It's unfortunate. We don't have to totally change and evolve the offense, right, Uh, out of necessity. We can still continue with our current philosophy of offense. And I think you got two of those guys. I think Cade Brewer, if Cade Brewer is – you know, you've recruited him and you've been developing him. He's supposed to be right now the – the the premier tight end of all that you know all those guys you have in that group and it's a talented group if you've been truly focusing on development he should be ready to go right he should be ready to have a breakout year in that role as a tight end an h back a fullback or whatever however you want to use him in in the pro spread offense and so i just like that and i like the fact that of course i want to bring back 2018 bam bam sam who also provided an element of the power running game from the quarterback position which also is another element of of hybridism and multiplicity to give give defenses more complex problems to solve 
mm-hmm. that honestly most of them are unequipped to do so because they don't have the personnel to match up to be able to do that. So I, and I think Texas can do that this year. Their running back field, uh, sorry, that 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 running back group, that core, um, and that offensive backfield is probably the most talented they've had in a long, long time. I think that's what the focus of the offense should be to try to maximize those guys. Because in addition to the guys I brought up, then you still have your you know your Rojo and your Keontae Ingram, and you still got you know Bijan Robinson in that backfield. And we know Tom Harmon likes to use those guys a ton in the passing game. If anything, I think that's where the offense starts. So I don't know if I you need three words, but I would go with multiplicity. You always go with explosivity because you want to be explosive in the Big 12. No doubt about it. And then I'd go with physicality. Talking about getting back to that. Yeah, I guess you can. I would. Yeah, you can throw that in there because if you're going to focus on the backfield, you want to be able to run it. I was going to say Bam Bam Sam, but that's what Bam Bam Sam is. He is your. He's your physicality card. The fact that they, everybody out there knows that nah, that run that, that quarterback can run the hell over if he wants to. I, I think so, to me, I agree with you on that. Yeah, to tie kind of simplify everything you laid out, Rod. It goes back to something I mentioned in the past couple podcasts. Maximize your personnel between the numbers. Man, if you do that, that's Sam Ellinger, that's your running backs, that's your H's, that's your tight end, getting things figured out on the offensive line. If you maximize your personnel between the numbers, you should be able to move it on anybody on your schedule. You should be able to put enough points on the board to keep you in every game, if not win every game. And I'm not saying Brennan Eagles and Tariq Black and and Josh Moore aren't going to be a part of this offense. They are. They're going to be. But those – you can have a championship-caliber offense without featuring – those guys on the outside. Totally agree. Those guys, I see those guys more the as complimentary pieces. It, look, okay. if Brendan Eagles emerges as a legit number one wide receiver that catches 80 balls, great. Awesome. But, that means you're going to be looking good. That's I mean, a, yeah, even better. But the things you need to count on, to me, mm-hmm. it, it's all between the numbers. And your offensive line, crossing fingers, it's also supposed to be a strength. Yeah. If you're projecting it, it should be a strength. You got a first round pick on that offensive line. Kirster is one of the best offensive uh offensive linemen coming back in the Big Twelve. Probably mm-hmm. maybe one of the best in the country. I haven't done the research. And of course you'll have Junior you know, Angelo coming back, second year as a starter. Junior Angelo's coming back. I mean, I don't know how Okafor's gonna perform, but you should have some strengths on that offensive line and most and I think you start with the running game with that group because they can provide the element of physicality. So I'm with you on that. Yeah, especially in this conference, whenever you can maybe have one of the few unique things like a run game that's dominant and be able to have skill position guys in addition to that. So it gives that variety the option to go have multiplicity and then the idea that you always have, in worst-case scenario, Sam as a guy that can bail you out of any situation. So if you can start to see, well, Texas hasn't had an offensive line in a decade. Well, you've had good skill position guys, but it hasn't been whenever you've had the offensive and it can be one of the first times where you can sort of be an unsolvable problem for the opposing team as long as everybody lives up to about expectations. Okay, and and, and the multiplicity thing, maybe I should add another descriptive term to it because the multiplicity is about matchups. Right, the whole point of having Jordan Whittington, Jake Smith, and a Cade Brewer out there, if he turns out to be the guy that you hope he is, and even getting the running backs involved in the passing game, that article you wrote, Jeff, that was uh, extremely uh, articulate and eloquently put about how Tom Herman's pro spread, he loves the running backs being involved in the passing game. And Can I bring up one point on that real quick that we haven't talked about because we you know, kind of 
kick Tom Herman a little bit today. How the how the hell every time they call the wheel route, it's wide open? <laughs> it is. Yeah, even going back to yeah. year one. Like it I know is. we talked about that on the show, but it just blows my mind. You go back and you, um, you watch yeah. games. It's like every time they call the wheel route, it's wide open. Wide open. Man. That means you're scheming it too, and that just show. But and that's sort Except of something. Except for the that spring game, Jordan Whittington, <laughs> your own Sy. defense. Yeah, Joseph Osai in coverage. Joseph in coverage. He's pulling a Drew Kelson out there, and it's just like, oh, no, we got to get that. Right. Right. I do. Like, Osai stopped the wheel route. Nobody else does. Let's get him in coverage. Maybe that was it. Maybe that was it. KD, Kevin Dunn always says, he said that was the worst moment for Joseph Osai because that convinced Todd Orlando that he should be in coverage. I agree. He can do everything with him. Yeah, he sees him like being the guy that can. This guy should be in the He can neutralize Bush. Nope, don't put him in coverage. No. Just pass rushing and run stuffing. Don't keep it simple, stupid. Not calling Todd Orlando stupid. But uh, the will route point is a good one because I really think that's it's matchups thing, though. Well, it's usually a matchup thing. Design and matchup the scheme advantage. type thing. Whenever you have a quarterback that has extra legs, that extra body, like because normally a will route is the last route. Yes, yeah, it's a misdirection. It's a late release, and it's yeah. the one that's left wide yeah. open because everybody is allocated and then the fear of a guy like Sam makes that extra person that may be responsible it becomes a run pass option idea where you're playing one defender for two options he could maybe pick no up the guy but it's going to leave Sam's ability to run out of the pocket so then you'll be able to look at opposing teams and see sort of their intentions in those situations if you aren't getting that last play I mean Shanahan's the type of guy that schemes those type of plays better yes. than anybody and it's like if you were to give him and hell we saw Jimmy G and Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs you start to use those legs because in those situations whenever defenses are say okay well we're going to go and cover everybody and not let you beat you with your arm even those guys can go and prove in those situations that we're going to go win with our legs and that's sort of wearing the same idea with that wheel route that's like a that just shows a well schemed offense and you can be putting your guys in the right positions and it's almost undefensible when you have optimal offense yeah that's why I wanted to get it's Back to the matchups thing, though, real quick, because that's what Shanahan does, right? We're going to pick out the, the the linebacker that is is bad in coverage or the worst in coverage. Mm-hmm. We're going to pick out the defensive back that can't cover the double move. We're gonna, and that's where the matchups come into play. And, you know, when you, have a, when you have a guy that can line up in the backfield in 21 personnel, and then you can completely change the play and then shift a guy like Jordan Whittington or put, or put Jake Smith and Jordan Whittington, any of the running backs. He likes to put his running backs out wide anyway and then you can line up an empty formation after they've already adjusted and put three linebackers on the field to deal with your your power set you automatically win it's and all you, all you do, uh, at that point you just tell these senior quarterbacks Sam Bellinio find the matchup man yep. Jordan Whittington yeah. on their, their uh, on their middle linebacker yes please all day every day and twice on Sunday let's go and that's, <laughs> that's exactly what stressing a defense is it's making the ninth and 10th and then 11th defender all execute they all, they all run great because everybody's not a big 12 defender on that defense and exactly <laughs> and that's the main thing is in, in every play if you are able to get the protection or have a quarterback can buy the time you can go exactly. and actually go through the first second third option and now you're talking about yeah. all 11 defenders have to read it right, execute it right, all the way down to that last guy that's either the wheel route or playing Sam with his decision making. Exactly right. You look, especially in the NFL, Rock, great offenses, they always have like a money play they go to and you just can't mm-hmm. stop it. Like, go back and watch the 49ers, whichever iteration you want to talk about. How many touchdowns Jerry Rice score on, on skinny posts? 
Oh yeah, all the time. I'm a Jerry Rice highlights you see on skinny yeah, posts all the time. And that's stressing the last defender. You know they're gonna throw it. Just dressed it up a little bit different. You know, I, I was and I'm, I've been watching a lot of old NFL film stuff during quarantine, so that's kind of where my brain is at right now. But I remember watching one on the '91 Redskins, and one thing they realize or people talk about, and this kind of goes back to knowing your personnel, right? They talk about Mark Rippon. Well, he can't do this, he can't do that. Mm-hmm. And one thing that offensive staff figured out, they're like, well. One thing he does, he throws a really good deep ball. Yep. So they came up with this simple play. They called it a sprint bomb. Basically, it's a sprint out to one side on the field, Damn and it's right. just back where Gary Clark or Ricky Sanders, somebody running a backside go. It's like get everybody flowing one way, throw the backside go the other way. It's going to be wide open every time. Wide Vince open. Young, <laughs> Billy Pittman to end the first half against Oklahoma that in 05 is exactly bomb, what that play is. Yeah. They called it a sprint bomb like the Cowboys. <laughs> and with Emmitt Smith, they had the lead draw. You know they're running it. You, It's not like they're going to take it out of the playbook this week. Totally you just agree. can't stop it. So. I loved watching Vince do that though because he would just go the one way and if the thr- route wasn't there he was just sense. taking off the yeah. exact opposite and it just the, the momentum and the wave of the defense and I remember hell as a Texas fan watching like your teams rod that were so fast the only way it seemed opponents could do anything against Texas was with misdirection, misdirection. and using those same yeah. concepts because you just beat against you man yep and use the aggressiveness on that first mm-hmm. bite to then go second but to have your entire focus built around that well, it's flawed so it takes nobody, time to do it. Nobody uses more pre-snap motion and misdirection in Shanna. Yeah, 49ers. I mean, it, it's, it's the whole offense is based on getting the eyes of the defense going one way, looking at one guy, motion going this way, misdirection. They've been doing like the, the they do the uh, the split flow yeah. where they'll have Uschek going one direction, then he breaks off in another total direction. Mm-hmm. It's like what the dude it is. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's the brilliant offense, stuff. some of the stuff that you've yeah. seen. In Matter of fact, Tom Herman, just call up Shannon and say, listen, bro, <laughs> I love you. I would never ever, you know, I wouldn't divulge your playbook. Just give me ten of your money plays and concepts and then we're gonna run with because texas kind of has the, some of the personnel to do some of that funky stuff and i love how shano's done it because it's the, everybody knows those players names now whenever he built those teams nobody knew who george kittle know. was nobody knew who i mean some yeah. people knew debo smith samuel because he's the best player on south carolina but if you play daily yeah. fantasy not many people knew so, who that is and that's the same check. thing that's why if you <laughs> hear the, him talking about brandon Ayuk was his number one receiver on the board yeah. not like oh it's the first guy we got no it's i would take him over cd rugs yeah. or any i was like, like wow. wow well that dude's gonna be explosive exactly everybody's <laughs> like well he's gonna be good we didn't think he was good but we were wrong yeah, <laughs> yeah. he gets Belichick factor already. No doubt. To your point, Rod, about Tom Herman consulting with a guy like Kyle Shanahan in Texas having some of those elements, Texas and Oklahoma are really the two schools in the Big 12 where you can, in theory, really recruit specific personnel to fit your offense. Like that. Yeah, you yeah. can. Yeah. I totally agree. There's some schools in the Big 12 where you can't do that. You aren't afforded the luxury. Lincoln right. Lincoln, all, Lincoln might be already doing it in a sense. Oh, he I mean, is. He was a ton of 21 yeah. personnel, mm-hmm. and he loves the fullback hybrid guys. Mark Andrews. And yeah, the, I mean, yeah. he's been doing it. Yep. Damn it. Yeah. We know this. Yes, we yeah. only knew. We thought Mark Andrews was only making tapes to get into the league against Texas. He's like, no, he was a first-round talent and guy. Look, and, and look at everybody. look what offense drafted him. Yes. An offense that also uses a ton of cheat codes yes. and hybridism, and which also has Duvernay. They're going to use Duvernay. Renee, the way Shannon uses Debo Samuel. Damn. Holiday, you know, Eric, you know, Eric the Ravens, he, he's got to be watching a lot of Big 12 football because they've drafted Justice Hill, Duvernay, Justice Hill, Marquise Brown, Mark Andrews. We like, talked about it, all of these yeah, guys. up on Big 12. Because yeah, like, <laughs> they know the NFL's becoming Big 12 football. There is no college offense or pro offense anymore. It's like, no, the be- okay, if, if there is no college offense or pro offense anymore and it's all the same, then what offense do you want your offense to be? 
the yeah. Big 12 offense. I want if I'm in the NFL, <laughs> it's like I mean, I watch Oklahoma. I want to do what they. Do. I want that offense. <laughs> do what they do. Exactly. I think that's just what he's doing. I think he's just. Vis- hey, you know who else does that? Andy Reid. Yep. Andy Reid's a big fan of Big 12 football. He called Cliff Kingsbury a genius. Yep. He's been. He basically has an air raid, Coriel West Coast offense. He just combined them all. Yeah. Yep. Into a hybrid scheme. Yep, and those are the type of guys that I love were able to survive. Because, I mean, there was a time when Andy Reid was, like, mocked as a coach. And it's, like, it's it's totally absurd. And, like, but to see now where it's, like, the guys at the cream of the crop, the Harbaugh's and the Reeds are the ones that, I mean, you come into the league and you always heard defense win championships. And now it's obvious. It's, like, no, optimal offense is impossible to stop. You can play great defense and you can still get beat on (laughs) those marginal plays with Tyree Kill. If you're neutral with the Great skill. You better watch out. They'll probably I think be able I, I to think scheme I realized when the NFL yep. was changing real quick because I want to get to one more thing before we get out of here. But I realized when the NFL was changing, I was watching a Packers game one Sunday and just kind of watching their personnel. And you, you, when you think of the Packers, you think like the Lombardi sweep and just mm-hmm. physical, just nasty yeah. football. But I'm watching them, and this is like Randall Cobb and Jordy Nelson at their best. I'm mm-hmm. like, dude, the Packers are a spread offense. Yeah. No doubt. And one of my boys is like, what are you talking about? I'm like, dude. They're in 11 personnel or 10 personnel like 80% of the time. Yeah. No question. And that's then they're motion. They've got a dual threat quarterback. Like, they're, the Packers are a spread offense. Right? Like they're, not, yeah. they're not They're not. going to call it that, but Mike McCarthy's running a spread offense. Yes, yeah. basically, that was the North. tipping totally point, agree. too, with Rodgers and McCarthy was Eddie Lacy. And after that, you never saw a running back like Eddie Lacy there. It was Ty Montgomery, a wide receiver mm-hmm. that would become a Great running point. back. And they used right. smart ways that we now look at and see lots of teams doing. Yeah. But they were doing that for about about the last four years up in You're right. Randall Cobb coming out, they used yep. him differently. He did he in the like backfield. He lined up. Yep. Yeah, coming out. Yeah. So, uh, but we talked about teams from the past, guys. We brought it up a minute ago. Matt, you did with some of the defenses Rod played on. And my wheels got really turning because I came across this article on ESPN.com. Bill Connolly, who does an outstanding I love Bill job. Connolly. He is the, uh, yeah, the curator of the SP Plus rankings. He's awesome. He's uh, the godfather of college sports sabermetrics. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And he put out, Rod, a list of the 25 best college football teams of all time mm. to not win a national championship. Oh, man. There was only one team. Of all time. There was only one Big 12 era team. From the conference oh, on there. Let me try to get that. That didn't win. Was it 2008 Texas? Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, I would have said, oh, hey, Texas. I'm telling you, everybody, oh, hey, Texas would have given. Was it and Florida they would have played? Yeah. Yes. And, yeah. and, and Bill Dude. Bill Connolly used, he used, he said he did use some creative license in ranking the teams, but he said Still. basically he won off historic SP. And so I pulled up the SP, the, old, the previous formula he used, the SP rankings from 2008. You look at Texas, there was only, they were number two. In SP Plus that year. Wow. Oh, USC was number one, and that was another team he mentioned, which he said might be the most oh. talented team of the Pete Carroll era. And go back and look at that 08 USC team. It was nasty. But the 08 Texas team was number two in SP Plus. Offensive SP Plus, they were number two. Uh, Oklahoma was number one. Defensive SP Plus, this is what's really separated Texas. That year they were 16th in the country. They were 17th in special teams SP Plus. Yeah. 11th strength Legit. schedule. So – I started looking at it, Rod. So there was the, never play in a national title. I never win. Never one. won a national title. Okay. So because you got eighty-six Miami, yeah, yeah, teams okay. that play for Just it. Sure, so yeah. I, st- I went down the rankings, and Texas, according to Bill Connolly, is the fourth best BCS slash CFP era team to not win a national championship. Mm. The only teams he has ranked higher: twenty nineteen Ohio State, twenty eighteen Alabama, 
2016 Alabama, then it's 08 Texas, and then from the BCS era, it's 08, company. 08 USC, 05 USC, yeah. 2011 LSU. Yeah, that 08 USC for teams that forgotten one because they lost like one random Thursday night game, and then See, other than Oregon that, State, like, yeah. and I remember when that happened, being like, oh my god. The door just opened for Texas because, like, Texas can just win. That's crazy. If you went in and get in, and then it's that. Because I remember it was a five-and-a-half-point betting line for Florida over Oklahoma. But all the betting lines at the time after Texas beat Oklahoma went on that gauntlet. Texas would have been favored over Oklahoma. So the betting line against Florida would have been closer. It would have been uh, projected like a three-point line. Dude, you can look at 2008, maybe one of the most competitive years in the history of college football. Yeah. Like, look like, at the Big 12 in 2008. Des Bryant's an afterthought. You know I mean? Jeremy like, Macklin. Was, that's, that was the greatest year in the history of Big 12 football. I got to go look at the SEC and everything. But, dude, that 2008 was a hell of a year for competition. Yeah. Yeah. Elites in the blue bloods. And, and yeah. I, I go by S and P plus and SP plus now because it's a pretty good metric to really it takes yeah, out yeah. a lot of the garbage mm-hmm. time numbers. In the final SP plus for two thousand eight Rod, you had five teams from the Big 12 in the top nine. Crazy, man. Yeah, Texas, Big 12 South. Texas was two. Tech. Uh, Oklahoma was four. Oklahoma. Missouri was seven. Oklahoma State, Missouri. eight. Texas Tech, nine. I forgot about Mizzou. With Chase and Daniel. And Kansas wasn't terrible. And look, <laughs> and all those quarterbacks, like right now, yeah, you got Chase teams. Daniel making like $9 million each year as a backup yeah, quarterback. Yeah, it, was, it was the quarterback that year. And this was whenever – Zach Robinson. Yep. Right? 100% yeah. with Dez and Kendall Hunter. That was a really good trail that they had with Oki State. But I remember this was when you started to like we were wow. thinking out loud about the spread babies and the young kids because Andrew Luck at that time had went out to Stanford and then you have all these quarterbacks. Real quick, seven seven Big Twelve teams Rod that year finished in the top twenty three. And SP Plus, you had Nebraska Great. at 17 and Kansas at 23. That's yes. The, yes, folks. Kansas yeah, was, Kansas, hey, dude, Kansas was good point. back then. Yep, <laughs> Which was, I will bring up here in, yeah. in just a sec. Yeah, yeah, that Kansas 08 was, and 07 era of the Big 12 North, it was funny because they were actually finally decent, but they were so discredited because the Big 12 South was just so good. Monstrous. Yes, it was great. It's and like crazy. Yeah, yeah, that was at the tipping point. And at the it time, was. we were talking about it and saying that it was unfair. I remember at that point, I was saying, no, the Big 12 is better than the SEC. This year, well, that's because were. we were playing, we were playing balanced football. We still had good defenses yes. back then. That's when it wasn't just great offenses. For some, we still we still had like I want to say three top twenty-five defenses in the Big Did Twelve. You think that about year. the defensive line you know coming mean? out of the league at that time with Dominica Sue, yeah, McCoy, Brian so, Arakpo. Like you still, yeah, that was the key. See, offense, yeah, we, I mean, and now we the balance has it's been over. It's, it's now not it's lopsided. There's yeah. there's no so, balance in the Big Twelve, which is so offense. Yes. Th- this got my wheels turning, and so I decided to look at the in the Big Twelve. 12 era, 96 to present day. And I wanted to find who are the five best teams in that era of Big 12 football, in the era of Big 12 football that didn't win a national championship. So, and I did this on Length of Tower. I'll do it for you guys here. The team that just missed the cut, and this team misses the cut, is the 96 Nebraska team. Hmm. They went 11-2, lost to Texas in the Big 12 championship game. Had they won that game, they would have played Florida State in the Sugar Bowl for the national championship. So 96 Nebraska missed the cut. Number five, 2007, Kansas. Dude. Akeem Tlaib is on that team. Yeah, that D is Uh, nasty. Todd Reeson, a quarterback. Think about this. That D is The only loss they had that year was to Missouri, who who vaulted to number one in the country right after that, at Arrowhead Stadium. If if Kansas wins that game, they are are 12-0 in San Antonio, (laughs) playing Oklahoma, and a win there. They're playing for a national freaking championship. Kansas. 
Kansas. Oh, back Kansas. That would have been nuts. And that's the that would have been nuts. Todd Reesing was like the beginning of that Lake Travis train of yep. state championships. Like it was him before Gilbert, which then led to your Mayfields or your Brewers beforehand, and just a never-ending list of D1 quarterbacks. Uh, number four, 98 Kansas State uh, went undefeated going into the Big 12 championship. Oh yeah, game. lost a double overtime to A&M. Bishop. Michael Bishop. Bishop. Yeah. And you talk about – you He's talk about beast, man. Did anybody shut down Ricky Williams? Like, look at his numbers in that Heisman winning year. Yeah, Kansas State did it. I think it was 25 carries for 43 yards Spot in on. Manhattan. Damn. Uh, 1.8 per carry. Everybody said Ricky lost the Heisman that day. I love – that's when I realized how dumb the media can be at times. Tonight, it was like the beginning of drawing a quick conclusion after, like, one of your first games of the season. Here's, here's what I did when I ranked these top five teams, too. And, again, these are five teams for the five best teams of the Big 12 era tonight not win a national championship. I limited myself to one team per program. So I just didn't want to load this up with Texas yeah, Oklahoma yeah. teams. I sure. wanted some. Because it would be just Texas so again, OU. Five is 07 Kansas. Four is 98 Kansas State. Number three, to me, it's, in my opinion, the best Oklahoma team since Bob Stoops won that national championship. And it's not any of the Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray teams. It's not even the 08 team. Go back and look at that 2003 Oklahoma team. And think about their season. The yes, defense. they got blown out by K-State in the Big 12 championship game. Yeah. Yes, they lost to LSU in the national championship game. I think the next to last game of the regular season, they're playing Baylor. They're blowing Baylor out at home. Jason White injures his wrist in the second half of that game. Hmm. And he's not the same the rest of the year. His Heisman year, he's not the same the rest of the year. That one injury, and again – in a, a garbage time and a blowout loss to Baylor, that one freak injury to Jason White probably cost Oklahoma a national championship. Yeah. Lee Rex, that defense was nasty. Oh, Tommy Harris. That defense had like, to think of all three levels. had like kids. two or three first-round picks you on Tommy it. Harris and Dusty yeah. Dvorak on a defensive mm-hmm. line. You've got mm-hmm. Teddy Lehman at linebacker, mm-hmm. and you got a secondary with Derek Strait and Brodney Poole. It's, oh, it's yeah, nasty. Strait. It's from Austin, right? Yeah, Lanier. Yeah, yeah. It's probably the nastiest defense of the Bob Stoops era, yeah. including that defense they won the national championship with in 2000. No, that was nasty. I remember that. My number two team, to me, it's the blueprint for what we think about present-day Big 12 teams, ideally how you'd want it to be built. The 2014 TCU team. Perfect team. Perfect Big 12 team. And think about this. It was a perfect I, I went back and looked team. at this, Rod. Top 15 defense. Mm-hmm. Marcus Marcus Mallett has, I think, a 46 or 49-yard interception return for a touchdown. At the 11:38 mark of the fourth quarter, and that lost to Baylor, TCU at that point, think there's 11:38 left in the game. TCU is up 58-37. crazy, man. And loses that football game. If you don't have a meltdown in the last 12 minutes, if Gary Patterson's playing for a national championship. That's what happens when two air raid offenses go at it, though. You know how that goes. That's what the air raid is. And We've seen that happen with the air raid offense at numerous times. Mike Leach has done it with I mean, up there at Washington State. And with Texas Tech, when they yeah. played Oklahoma that year. Dude, that's what a big 12 That's what an air raid offense can do. And, man, air raid came back to – to haunt him. Yeah. And and the air raid that basically made him a national championship contender also came back to haunt him. And that's where wow. also this concessions <laughs> of your time, like just five years later, Damn. maybe viewed differently because people viewed 58-37. It's like, no, those teams can't stop any of They aren't any good. And that's literally what a national perception was a lot of the time to those off. It's not what you see now when it's the most celebrated NFL games or when you get these air raid-esque matchups. And mm-hmm. I remember going through the box scores last football 
football season on one of the Longhorn Blitz and just showing every game between like the Chiefs Crazy, and a uh, team like Breeze or Brady. Every single score is now those 45 to 42s. What we remember is Texas OU scores in 08 or things along those lines that at that time, even in 2014, that game being so high scoring was used to their detriment and wasn't letting it. It was like, no, they can't stop these SEC teams. They aren't going to get in. That yep. TCU defense, Rod, that year, uh, total defense, they were 18th in the country yeah. in total defense, ninth against the run, ninth in pass efficiency defense, eighth in scoring defense. And that was with an offense. Yeah. That was a top five, top five in total offense and a scoring offense. You were number two in the country, forty six and a half points a game. Yeah, I was that was a. I mean, you could say they were a top ten defense because I didn't, I didn't remember those stats. Yeah, that's a top ten defense and that the game, top five offense. Quick personal story: I've only watched a Baylor game with a family of Baylor people once, and it was that game. Was that game. My friend's girlfriend had it's some crazy. type of graduation party, so a whole family's like around and stuff watching and couldn't believe what was unfolding. <laughs> so as we wrap up the show this week, my number one big, my, my in my opinion, the best Big 12 team uh, to not win a national championship in the Big 12 era is the 08 Texas team. So, no Rod, I ask you this. You were doing radio here in Austin for that 08 season. You played on the old one team, which also gets thrown into the conversation of a team that got painfully close to breaking through and wasn't able to. Yeah. Take the O five team sits alone and in the Mac Brown area, it is the the top the, the very tippy top of the mountain. Mm-hmm. Is the O eight team the second best team in the Mac Brown era? That's good. That's a good question. That 4 team was pretty that damn That team gets good. forgotten about. If you forget about it, but that 4 team was nasty. They just figured it out a little bit late. That's basically the 5 team in, you know, in its infancy, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that 08 is definitely top three. You may be able to throw maybe the 4 team in if you want to. I'm trying to think of another Mac Brown team that's close. Because I, I, I think the, the to me, the 08 team. Because, I mean, 09 team, 08 was better than 09. And yeah, I would yeah, take, no, I would take sure. the 04 team over the 09 team. <laughs> I would take the 04 over 09. So I think, yeah, oh four is the only other team that could contend. And you probably could go play. They had so much talent on it. Oh four team is Bo five with basically Cedric Benson and, and DJ. <laughs> exactly. The greatest defensive player in school history, right? not named Tommy Noble. Yeah, and you didn't need to throw at the time because at, at that time yeah. it was just Tony Jeffrey. You really hadn't seen the emergence That's of any true. of the three receivers being Pittman, Carter, or Swede the next year because of one red shirting with Swede. But either way, I, the one thing I've always looked at these two teams. Obviously, 05 has the highest ceiling, and I would say that 04 because of the defense. That ceiling is about as untouchable because of Vince. But I haven't ever seen a team that maximized on a week by week basis, basically. Like that 08 team, if you're talking about 05, 05 had a ceiling of like a 130, mm-hmm. but sometimes they play like a 90 or a 110. Like you didn't always see the best game. That 08 team in the gauntlet that they win them, it seemed like that they were consistently maximizing what they could do. And with that comparison, you never had to worry about them not showing up. Even against Tech, like that Tech game, it was a couple, you have a safety, a couple injuries. You have Colt and Rackpo, I think, got hurt. 
game. Quan leaves the game. You have Shipley drop a pass, and yeah. it looks like he got concussed Blake or Gideon something. Dropped pick. Yes, and double also, coverage on Crabtree. So that uh. was a bad game. But other than that, like that 08 team, it seemed as if they were the only team I remember that exceeded expectations every yeah. game that they would go out there and play. And that is a type of thing that if you can count on your teams to do that, you're going to win a ton. To where I'd always say that 05 is better, but put them on the field in one given day, and that 08 team could beat that 05 team. Now, I wouldn't think they would beat them more if you're talking about of 100 times. The clear favorites, 05, they win probably 60, yeah. 70 of them. But that's how just good of production you got from that yeah, 08 not, team. Not even the quarterback edge. I would give 05 the edge with the offensive line. I mean, yeah, oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. But, Rod, you know what Matt's talking about with the consistency factor, it took a loss to Oklahoma to do it, but really once you guys turned to Cedric Benson at running back. Oh, yeah, that 01 team. That 01 team was yeah. averaging something stupid like 45 points a game yep. the rest of the way. and But that's why it can't be a different because the, still had, pitch like two or three shutouts. You still had a, a young, immature Matt coaching it. Yeah, and that's why they wouldn't have matched up. It wouldn't have matched up with an older, more mature Mac because that Mac wasn't even mature enough to not only not figure out the Y'all's major sim situation, but also I'm not going to start the best running back on our team because he's a freshman for half the year. Like what? what are you? <laughs> and what? then whenever he did, yeah. I remember being at that, yeah, Cal- so. that Colorado game at home. That would have held the Colorado game that y'all played in Dallas. But when y'all dismantled that Colorado team here in Benson, it was clear at that point that was once he was starting and that team was so much different with him there. And it just even adds to that mental consumption of the defense that it just opened up everything else for that offense. And, yeah, that 01 team, it seemed to have the volatility. It was just sort of the opposite of that 08 team. The 08 team – Probably was as talented as the 01 team, but the volatility was in the 01 team in the young Mac by 08, and you had players, player led team again, a theme of Mac Brown's entire tenure, the player led team of Colt and a mature ass Quan, and then you have an old, old Shipley, and then you have your Rack Pose. Like, that's a team that's as much of a player led culture and even leftover remnants of players that were there from the 05 team, so they sort of saw how those player-led teams can really galvanize the locker room. So if we were to rank the Mac Brown era teams, I think we would say 05 was clearly number one. We would say 08 is number two. Then you probably go 2004. Mm-hmm. And 09. And then 09 and then 01. The five best teams in the Mac I'd Brown say, era. yeah, those three, four, five are really clumped together. Yeah, I, yeah, I would go with that. Well, was 2001 the best team you played on, Rod? Because, I mean, you could – when you yeah. look at records 01 and was better than 02. You could put 02 in there. 01 was better than 02. Yeah. Oh, one was a better team to go to because we still had Mike Williams yeah. on that offensive line. Well, and then the other Mike Williams people forget about. That yeah, we was had a, it. Was a, it was a better. I think nah, we lost a lot. Of, we lost a couple of guys. I want, was Didi Lewis on that team? Yes, yeah, yeah, we were a better team. Then we just had more about veteran, Brooks. more yeah. veteran talent. Yeah. yeah. Introducing the Two Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. 
All right. Well, thanks for the conversation, guys. That is going to do it for this week's show. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B., appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 1049-1019-AM1260, streaming on the Horn app at hornfm.com, where you can hear Rod B. on that triple option afternoon show each and every weekday from 3 to 7. Chambers plug. You can also get myself and Craig Way each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt. You can get all of our archives, our classic shows and interviews, all on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, type in Longhorn Blitz. And don't forget to subscribe to Horns 24-7 Podcasts anywhere you get your podcasts. Google Play, a- Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Just search Horns 24-7 Podcasts. You get us, you get State of Recruiting, and you get the flagship just by searching Horns 24-7 Podcasts. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.